This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. We've got a few episodes under our belt here at the Hi, I'm Bobby podcast. And I, guys, I got to tell you that it wasn't simpler to start a podcast than with Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. So let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast straight from your phone or your computer. Anchor will literally distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. If this sounds amazing to you, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I'm so excited, and I hope you guys will make a podcast today. Hi, I'm Bobby, and I'm your friend who knows just a little bit too much about pop culture. Welcome to your weekly meeting of Pop Culture Fanatics Anonymous, and welcome to season two of the Hi, I'm Bobby podcast. Did you miss me? Well, I missed you quite a bit, and I can't wait for us to spend every week together again diving into the pop culture questions that no one was even asking in the first place. So since we last chatted, there have been a lot of new releases, so I'd love to walk through a couple of them with you. So at the end of last year, we got Encanto from Walt Disney Animation Studios that felt like it took over absolutely everything, especially TikTok. And I think I might have been up to date on every single like major piece of drama that was tied to that film. Now, did I need to be? No, I'm just nosy. Also, I am just now getting that song out of my head. You know the one, the one we do not talk about. This past month, we got The Batman from Warner Brothers and DC, which has had a vice grip on my life ever since I saw it. I'd just like to say, that I applaud the entire Warner Brothers DC Comics team, especially their marketing departments, because when I first saw the trailer in like November, December-ish, I had no interest in it. I remember, I think I was going to see, it might have been going to see Encanto, which I saw in theaters before it blew up on TikTok. So I'm very proud of that fact. But um, I remember going to see it for Encanto, and I think maybe Noah Hellman, I kept seeing the trailer for it, and I was like, ugh, like, I, I don't care about this. I mean, it's not because I don't care about Batman. I actually do. I care quite a bit about Batman. 
I liked DC before I liked Marvel. I grew up on like Batman the Animated Series, Justice League, like Teen Titans. So I'm a big DC girl. But I just want another like grit fest. I think that was a product of a kind of post Snyder verse uh, Batman that I was just I was spent when it came to kind of a DC, the current DC live action Batman. But then, as if out of nowhere, the marketing for that film took a page out of the Jessica Chastain and Oscar Isaac rule book for how to use horny as a marketing strategy. And they put Robert Pattinson and Zoe Kravitz's unbridled chemistry at the forefront of the marketing. And I was sold. I was absolutely sold. So I have since seen it in theaters twice. I will probably go see it in theaters more times before it hits streaming. I will probably go see it this weekend again. And I just saw it on Monday. And I didn't just see it in like any regular theater. I saw it in my local Alamo Draft House. And I... So that means that I paid to get in and like pay for the ticket and then I paid to eat. So this movie got me, has me, and I simply will not apologize for it. And I will probably see it in theaters again, probably this weekend. Also, that was not an ad for Alamo, but imagine if it was. Imagine if it was Alamo Draft House. If anyone from the Alamo Draft House PR team is listening to this, I don't know why you would be, but just know that I am available. And finally, that leads us to the release that is the kind of subject of today's chat, which is Pixar's 25th feature-length animated film, Turning Red. Now, this film sparked a lot of controversy because some white people didn't see themselves in the story, which, okay. Um, But as a whole, the film and discussions around it really got me thinking about the very complicated world of pop culture for teen girls. So that is what we are talking about today. Okay, so Turning Red. What is Turning Red? As I mentioned before, it is Pixar's 25th feature-length animated film. Um, And per IMDb, here is the synopsis. May Lee is a confident, dorky 13-year-old torn between staying her mother's dutiful daughter and the chaos of adolescence. We've all been there. Her protective, if not slightly overbearing mother, Ming, who is voiced by Sandra Oh, who is absolutely amazing, is never far from her daughter, an unfortunate reality for the teenager. And as if changes to her interests, relationships, and body weren't enough, whenever she gets too excited, which is practically always, she poofs into a giant panda. So... This film, I loved it. I scoured the internet trying to see if there was anywhere that was playing the film in theaters because most notably about it, if you're kind of thinking that, oh, Turning Red sounds vaguely familiar, it's probably because in January, the Disney and Disney, Pixar, Disney mainly, decided that Turning Red would no longer get a kind of wide theatrical release and it would go straight to streaming, which would be the third Pixar film in a row to go directly to streaming and not get like a a theater run. The first being Luca, the second being, or the first being Soul, the second being Luca, and the third now being Turning Red. So I made sure that I was like going to find any, like any screening, like anything. I would have seen it in a, in someone's house down the street, but I wanted to see it on the big screen. And I found it at a Times Square AMC, believe it or not. And I saw it on screen and it was absolutely amazing. But the film, I just want to get into a little bit about the film before we go into the controversy around it. 
is the film is the first Pixar film to be solo directed by a woman. And if you're thinking, well, what about Brave? Like I know Brave was directed by a woman. Brave was actually co-directed by a woman. The woman's name is Brenda Chapman, who is an absolute like pillar in animation and Mark Andrews. So she co-directed the film, but Turning Red's director, Dome Shi, who, um, who also is absolutely amazing. This is, you're going to hear me fangirl over Dome Shi quite a bit in the duration of this podcast, but Dome Shi is the first woman to direct a Pixar film by herself and the first woman of color to do so as well. And if you're hearing the name Dome Shi and you're like, ah, that sounds so familiar. It is because Dome Shi is also the director of the Pixar short Bao. And Bao won the Academy Award for Best Animated Short Film a couple of years ago. I mean, it's really, really cute. If you haven't seen it in a while, it's on Disney Plus. It might be on YouTube. I don't know, but it is definitely on Disney Plus. It's a really, really fun short film. Um, really moving too as well. And this is to Domeshi. And if you're not Domeshi, you can listen, but this is for her uh, specifically. Mishi, if you ever need a uh, like a quirky black girl protagonist for your next film, uh, I want you to know that I am SAG-AFTRA eligible and I am always down for the cost. So reach out. I'm, I'm always here. Um, but no, I'm just teasing. I, I'm not, but you get it. Also in the vein of girl power, the film is also the first Pixar film to have an all-female creative leadership team making it. So what does that mean? That means that in addition to she as the director, the producer, visual effects supervisor, production designer, and associate producer were all women. We love to see it. Um, and if you want to get to know more about the team behind Turning Red, I highly recommend the kind of like documentary featurette that went with the film. It's on Disney+. Plus. I cannot remember the name at this point, um, but it's really, really good. And it kind of gives like an in-depth uh, look at all the women who kind of had a hand in making the film. It goes into she specifically and talking about her experiences and kind of what led to making the film and her journey and just kind of the just, you know, collective kinship that went into making this movie. So if you're into it, highly recommend it. It's very, very good. So let's get into the controversy. Why are people talking about turning red in this way? It doesn't feel like it's all that controversial based off of the synopsis, but it, it seems to be collecting controversy like Infinity Stones. And like I said, it's not because the film is all that controversial. It simply dares to show an authentic coming of age story that doesn't center a white protagonist. And that's enough for people to be very upset over. So the controversy that kind of kicked off this whole thing was an early review from Sean O'Connell, who is a managing director for Cinema Blend. And Cinema Blend is kind of a, uh, a pretty prominent, I would say, media review slash news outlet. So he wrote an early review for it. And I'm going to read you a little excerpt from it. And also he kind of had an accompanying tweet to go along with it that kind of rounded out his thoughts. So this is from his review that has now since been, I think, deleted or he's issued an apology after it. This is from O'Connell. Quote, I recognize the humor in the film, but connected with none of it. By rooting Turning Red very specifically in the Asian community of Toronto, the film legitimately feels like it was made for Domeshi's friends and immediate family members, which is fine, but also a tad limiting in its scope. End quote. Yikes, right? 
Uh, and this is the tweet that went along with that that has now since been deleted. Quote, some Pixar films are made for universal audiences. Turning Red is not. The target audience for this one feels very specific and very narrow. If you are in it, this might work very well for you. I am not. This was exhausting. End quote. Um, and as if that wasn't enough, the Rotten Tomato audience reviews are interesting as well. Um, I'm going to read you a couple, but I'm going to read them as a uh, Southern white mommy blogger who I imagine wrote some of these <laughs> reviews. So here are a couple of the reviews. The first one, this was a one star review of Turning Red. This story is very targeted at a very specific audience. And if you don't fall into that category, this film is not for you. I had to turn it off after 10 minutes. And after I saw the main character drawing fan fiction as a 13 year old, it left me uncomfortable that a 13 year old was doing this in a Pixar film. Overall, I would rather watch Cars too. Wow. Let's keep going. Uh, this is a one and a half star review. So I have a star. Uh, this is not what Pixar is about. I can only see a very small group of people actually relating to this movie. This feels so conditioned by current political trends, it loses all potential to succeed as a transcendental film. Awesome animation, though. And the final one, which is kind of the most prominent, maybe like parent writing about this film. This is a half star review. Definitely not for kids. It glorifies finding yourself and following friends at the expense of listening to your parents guidance totally inappropriate for children preteens who are not living in the modern progressive cult of ideas will find the topics awkward and uncomfortable maybe pixar should decide if they want to include making charming and enduring family favorites or edgy progressive adult films and stop sitting on the fence wow <laughs> wow you know crazy so in addition to those two things and kind of the things that uh, are talked about within those reviews the film has also been torn apart for even daring to talk about menstruation and talking about the fact that teen girls just like teen boys deal with lust and desire with teen girls they're called boy crazy and for teen boys it's called being horny and uh spoiler alert they're the same thing they are the exact same thing. So my initial thoughts on all of that. Number one, kind of addressing O'Connell's problems with the film. I noticed this broadly. It's not just O'Connell. I've also seen it in other kind of reviews that followed his and also on TikTok. But all in all, it seems like a lot of men are really struggling with their thoughts on this film. And I think it is by a fault of their own but also not mainly it is their fault um in in that for a long time the kind of like showing of coming of age for girls has almost been very idealized in a way and very like you are 10 years old and then puberty happens but for teen girls it's like a puff of bath and body works body mist and sparkles and and gumdrops and then you're a woman which is not quite what that experience is like they kind of really don't touch on the fact that teen girls like teen guys are uh stinky and lustful and just a big old ball of emotion at all times it is it's a lot it's a lot to deal with it's a lot to handle trust me i'm a former teen girl i know okay i know but i think 
I think men are really struggling with this because they have that that idealized thought of what teen girl kind of like adolescence and puberty has been explained to them as being as. And so when you see something that is not that, but is actually a little bit more accurate, you kind of reject it. I've also seen a lot of uh, a lot of varying kind of a range of, of things, but I've seen a lot of men talking about how it's not as emotional and it doesn't have those like heavy emotional beats that Pixar is known for. And one of my uh, good friends, Momo's Carryout, made a video on TikTok talking about how it is extremely emotional. It's an extremely emotional movie, but the emotional beats are in different places than traditional Pixar movies. So I think a lot of this is just that men in particular have never really had to kind of adapt themselves to a narrative or they they think that their kind of experiences are the default. And I just want to say, before you click off of this podcast, that obviously not all men think this way. There are plenty of guys who I've seen talk about the film who were able to relate to a lot of the things that were being discussed and being talked about because at one point, everybody has been a teenager. You don't come out of the womb and you're immediately an adult. Everybody has been a teenager. So there's a lot that you can find relatable in the film. But a lot of men, and especially kind of when you go broader than that with these Rotten Tomatoes reviews, which I don't know what the race of the reviewers are. I'm just guessing. But it seems that a lot of people who are a part of majority groups don't have the skill of adapting yourself to a narrative. And for me, I never saw that as a skill. I just thought of it as, okay, this is the one way that I can kind of relate to this thing. To O'Connell's point of like, I'm not in it, so this is exhausting. It It's crazy to me because that means that if he's related to prior Pixar films because he is in it, that means this man is not only a man, but he is a monster, he's a fish, he's a dinosaur, he's a toy. He's got a lot of lived experiences when you think about it. But of course, that's not what he meant. It's, it feels strange that he can find something relatable in a, a story about a toy or a story about literal monsters. But the minute that it's a 13-year-old Chinese-Canadian girl, that's where he draws the line. And a lot of people are like, whoa, 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 this is not relatable to me. When it is, it's, it so is. Um, but it's, it's strange that the minor, the, the minority girl is where you, you draw the line. All right. But going back to what I was saying, finding yourself in a narrative really is a skill because many minority groups, myself included, I am a dark skinned black girl. That alone is telling you. I'm not in film and TV all that much. And if I am, it may not be someone who fits my personality at all. It's probably a character steeped in stereotypes. So in that, when you're young and you're a part of any like kind of marginalized group, you learn to find yourself and adapt yourself to a narrative. If I went around saying that everything that doesn't have me and my identity in it is exhausting, I'd have nothing, Okay. I would absolutely have nothing. So you have to find yourself in those narratives, whether it's the personality, whether it's the kind of ambition, tenacity, like it's, I don't see really quite where the difference between 13 year old Maylin Lee, who lives in Toronto in 2002, how that differs from 16 or 17 year old Marty McFly living in Hill Valley in 1985. You know what I mean? One is seen as very hyper specific and niche, whereas the other one is seen as universal. See how that doesn't make sense? And so 
and to the parents who think that this film is inappropriate. Now, I'm not going to tell you how to parent your kids because I'm not a parent. Okay. I'm not a parent. But as a former teen girl, I can tell you that it is nice. And I wish that I had more media when I was at that age where it feels like you were going through this by yourself. When in actuality, everyone has gone through this at some point. How comforting it might be to have media that talks candidly about things like menstruation, that talks candidly about these new feelings that you're experiencing for the first time. There's a scene in the movie that is really that, that a lot of um, like women and people who have periods are talking about that I think was like very prominent for a lot of us. And it was the scene where May's mother, Ming, she thinks that May is like getting her period for the first time. And she immediately like comes into the bathroom. She's like, I have pads, I have scented, I have with wings. And like, she's going through all these pads that she has. She has ibuprofen. And she talks about like getting a period. It's not as this thing to be shameful of, but like as this thing that just happens. And so you, you are prepared for it and we're going to get through it and everything. And she just spoke about it in a way that I don't think has been talked about in in media a lot menstruation is not something that comes up in film and tv all that much uh, the only other example i can really think of is big mouth and if big mouth is not for you it makes sense it's very kind of crass take on it but this was an instance of talking about it in a way that it's like treating it as if it's normal like because periods are normal they just happen no one asks for them they just happen right so having media like this would be extremely helpful, I think, to kids who are experiencing these really big emotions and big experiences for the first time. I've talked about this in prior podcasts, and I've mentioned this kind of like uh, idea that I have before, but kids are these really deep emotional wells, and they are experiencing all these really big emotions in these tiny little bodies. And so that means that they are dealing with a lot of things. I think it's easy, like as you get older and the balance between your body and your emotions begins to kind of like balance out. But when you're a kid, like emotions like sadness and anger and happiness feel so big because you're so small. And being a preteen, it is the exact same thing. But these emotions are now big and they're complex. They're not as simple as, oh, when something sad happens, I am sad. When something makes me angry, I get angry. It is now like dealing with desire and lust and like being horny and all those different things. Like you're going through all these different things and what you thought the world was has now expanded far beyond anything that you've ever seen before in your life. And you're like, what's going on? I can't deal with this. This is a lot to handle. And so I think having media that doesn't necessarily like make you feel shamed, like make you feel ashamed or make you feel like you are less than is something that I think is a good thing. But I don't know. I'm not a parent. Okay. I'm not a parent. So that got me thinking, like I mentioned in the intro, kind of the good and bad of what teen girl pop culture is. And what I mean by that is like the film, the TV, the music that are typically geared towards or catered to teen girls. So I want to talk about the good because there, there's a lot of bad, but I want to talk about the good first. So I think within the, the pop culture of the teen girl, there's a lot of like kinship in culture, right? And I think the best example of that is in kind of the the shared love and admiration for boy bands. And <laughs> Turning Red does have a boy band in it. The 
band's name is Four Town, but there's five of them. And Ming, May's mom, calls it out. And it's like, why is there a group that has five members, but they're called Four Town? It's ridiculous. Um, but I think the kind of collective love of boy bands is something that is really prominent in teen culture. And it's, it toes, boy bands toe the line between being manufactured and really authentic. I think from the band side of it, a lot of boy bands are not naturally occurring. They're kind of put together by labels. They're given these like archetypes of like the bad boy, the young one, the cute one, like, you know, whatever, the older one. Um, and they all kind of are very like heavily marketed towards teen girls and like their image is very selective and everything like that. But the realistic side of it is that the fans, like the experience of having whatever boy band was your fancy. Uh, for me, it was the Backstreet Boys. Um, still to this day, I ride for the Backstreet Boys. Um, but I also love like One Direction, Mindless Behavior, like, you know, groups like that. If you if you were ever a teen girl or had the experience of being someone who really enjoyed boy bands, there is nothing better than finding someone else who also loved boy bands in that same way. Um, and being able to talk about, oh my gosh, like I got to see them at this or I got to meet them or they're like this or like, you know, or like if you're in a group of friends, like divvying up the boy band and like you had your one person and then your friend had another guy that he, she was really into and then like your other friend really liked this guy. Um, and they talk about that in the film too, like May's little like core group, they each have their uh, member of four town that they really love. And I definitely had those experiences growing up. Um, with the, I think the most prominent example might be the Jonas Brothers. And in my little core group in like elementary school, would be like, oh, I like Nick or like my friend would be like, oh, I like Joe. And someone would like Kevin. Um, I'm just kidding. I know people love Kevin. Kevin is great. But I think there's just like a, you know, a collective experience about it that makes it really fun. And then when you grow up and you kind of look back on that time period in your life, you kind of look on it with, you know, with fondness, I guess. Right. So that kind of, unfortunately, does segue us into kind of the bad that comes with teen girl pop culture and kind of the the societal view of it. And mainly, it is a lot of scrutiny. Teen girls turning red kind of brought up the question that I've been asking myself for a long time. And it is, why do we hate teen girls so much? <laughs> like... We hate the things that they wear. We hate the way that they talk. We hate the things that they listen to. We hate the things that they watch. And we're the ones telling them to do all those things. So you see how that might be, you know, not the greatest for any type of self-esteem or whatever. But it's so much scrutiny for a litany of things. I think the two most prominent examples, like I mentioned, boy bands absolutely had their like time of scrutiny. And I'll get to that in a second. But the movies that they watched twilight twilight was a film that was so shrouded in controversy simply because teen girls had the audacity to enjoy it right it was about sparkly vampires and people lit teen girls up for for daring to like it and it it's sad because it's like they just want to have some fun it's puberty is hard enough as is don't add to like scrutinizing them for the thing that they dare to enjoy. Twilight is a main example of that. Uh, I think pretty much anything that was kind of catered to teen girls got the same treatment. Um, again, boy bands were seen as kind of this like frilly, fluffy music. 
it was definitely kind of steeped in a lot of homophobia from that too, from like as far as scrutiny from society goes, because it was a group like catered to teen girls. I remember I was watching a, and I've mentioned this before, but I was watching the documentary about uh, Woodstock 99. And at one point in this festival, that is one big ball of toxic masculinity, they bring up these, (laughs) these cardboard cutouts of the Backstreet Boys, I think. And they're like punching them and they're being like, like F you guys, blah, blah, blah. And it's like so weird because no one was talking about the Backstreet Boys at this thing, but they went out of their way to be like, oh, this is stupid. This is blah. This is that. And it's because teen girls like it. And we view the the media and the things of teen girls as inherently lesser. We view it as not being worthy of analysis or critique or like enjoyment because it's seen as lesser whereas the media of of teen boys is not always you know given that same treatment and then on top of that not just society like scrutiny from society but because of the scrutiny from society that you get you get you then some girls turn that scrutiny inward and then you get internalized misogyny, which just adds on to the kerfuffle of all of this going on. And I I was definitely that girl in, in middle school. I was definitely the, I was born in the wrong decade or like I only listened to older music and the older music is Queen or like Nirvana. And I was, de- it, to perfectly sum up the type of annoying little middle schooler tween that I was, if someone was like wearing like a Nirvana shirt because when I was a teenager in like the late 2000s, early 2010s, it was very popular and fun to just slap the Nirvana logo on any like slightly distressed shirt from Forever 21 and Forever 21 was like, here, take it. You you like, you buy. And we all ate it up. And I was definitely the type that was like, oh, you're wearing a band tee. Can you even name any of the songs from the band? And I'm over here like, I know Come As You Are and like smells like teen spirit but I'm over here like you're not a real Nirvana fan I've since been reformed and I've lived a tale to tale but so it's like it's not just getting scrutiny from society but then you get screw like the internalized misogyny because you're trying to get out of the the scrutiny that you're facing externally for just liking something related to a being a teen girl and so you're like oh no I don't like that thing and I in fact I I hate that thing and that's almost how you you think you're winning like social favor which is not right if you legitimately don't like boy bands if you were a teen girl you didn't like boy bands that's fine but I definitely think a lot of teen girls kind of fell into the trap of like saying like oh I I hate that thing I think it's stupid and any girl who thinks that any girl who likes it is stupid that whole thing and a lot of us are now on the other end of it. We can live the tale, the tale, right? But then the last piece of it that's that's definitely bad is the exploitation piece, right? So teen girls are facing the scrutiny, whether from society, whether from themselves, whether from their friends. And so they're they're really getting exploited by the fashion industry, the makeup industry, the TV industry, music, whatever, to be like, you can change. You don't have to be scrutinized anymore. You can change, change these things about yourself. 
and you can find the social favor that you have been looking for, teen girl, that we stripped you from, and you can use us to get it back. And it's messed up because teen girls are dealing with enough. Teenagers, as as is, are dealing with a lot. And the last thing that they need is to just change every single bit of themselves that they don't have to. That time is already full of a lot of metamorphosis and change, and you're finding yourself in new ways for the first time. And far be it from anyone else to have to tell you that these are all the things you need to nitpick and change about yourself. Like no one when they're younger is thinking about, oh, I have dark circles. But I remember the moment like when I was in high school and I was like doing my, my skincare or whatever. And I noticed that like, you know, I was like getting dark circles and I was like, oh, I need to fix this immediately. And it's like it's a naturally occurring thing. You're relatively new in your body. So your body's going to get some wear and tear. That's just how it works. But all those things are to say that I think we're, we're finally getting to a point where we are kind of circling back and saying like, hey, this time in your life kind of sucks a lot. It sucks a lot, actually. It's very, it's awful in a lot of ways. There are some fun parts, but it's awful. But you don't need to feel ashamed of it. It's just something that you have to go through. These are the growing pains, right? And we're finally getting media that is you know, in some ways, it's retro, like a retrospective thing with shows like Pin 15, where you have obviously have like two adult women who are like talking about, you know, these this this sp- very specific period in their life. But then you also have like Turning Red and like Never Have I Ever and like a lot of these different shows that are kind of candidly talking about this very awkward um moment in a a teen girl's life and talking about it with authenticity showing the good showing the bad showing the ugly showing the sometimes stinky and doing it in a way that doesn't fully shame the viewer who may be in that moment in their life but just showing like hey this is a part of it and you're gonna be fine I promise you you're gonna be okay and so I think that's why like turning red is such an important film especially for the the target audience that it is catered to that are growing up and you know are coming of age at this point they're able to get to this point and be like hey I have this piece of media that lets me know that it's okay to be like a teen girl like I'm I'm not ashamed of it I may feel shame I may feel guilt or whatever but it's not a bad thing to to come of age and these are just the growing pains that I'm experiencing now and then when you get to be an adult you can look back on it um with somewhat fondness, I'd, I'd like to share that before recording this episode, I just wanted to kind of get a retrospective from my own mom on what I was like as a teenager. I don't love that she jumped at the opportunity with such um, excitement, but she did. And it was it was awful to listen to <laughs> what I was like around that time. Because when you're experiencing it in real time, you're like, oh, I wasn't that bad. And then you listen to it back as an adult, especially you're like, oh, God. No, I was that bad. That was awful. That was terrible. So shout out to my mom for for letting me know what I was like as a teenager. I will give her credit. She said she said I wasn't a bad like teenager by any means. But, you know, it is the hot mess express. And I think turning red is important because it shows that being a teenager is indeed always having a ticket to the hot mess express so i will say in my closing thoughts if you are an adult thinking about reviewing turning red especially if you are a man my 
advice. Firstly, don't, maybe, but if you're going to, just step out of yourself for a second. Look at what the piece of, of media that you're, you're prepared to review is about and kind of just go back to that time when you were a teenager. You don't have to relate to May um, because I am not, I'm not Chinese. I don't live in Canada, but I related to her story because we've all been there being 13 and having a lot of emotions. Everybody has gone through that. So if you were a, a man or whoever looking at this film, ready to demonize it because you don't see yourself in it specifically. Step out of yourself and really work on that skill of adapting yourself to a narrative that you might not already be in. It is a skill. It helps your media literacy. It really does. Um, just try it, you know, just give it a shot. And if you are a parent who is like up in arms because this film is daring to show your kids that this is what growing up might be like, I challenge you to just think about it for a hot second. You were at one point a teen person. Wouldn't you have wanted something that might have made you feel a little bit better about all these very weird emotions that you're experiencing for the first time that probably no one gave you even an ounce of a heads up on? Just think about it. Those are all my thoughts on Turning Red and I want to say a massive thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you if you made it to this point in the episode. Um, this is, like I said, the first episode of season two of the High on Bobby podcast. I've got some really exciting stuff coming down the pipelines for you guys. So I hope that you guys will stick with me week to week and go on these pop culture deep dives with me because I have a lot of fun. I hope you have a lot of fun too. If you want to know where else to find me on the internet, you can find me, Bobby, at the afternoon special on TikTok or over on Instagram. Or if Twitter is more your thing, I get it. You can find me at Hi, I'm Bobby, H-I-I-M-B-O-B-B-I on Twitter. And you can also keep up with this podcast specifically over on Instagram at the Hi, I'm Bobby podcast. And that's all one word. And if you're thinking, Bobby, I'm not going to remember any of that. Bestie, I put it in the description box so you can just click it and you will be right exactly wherever you want to be. I did that just for you. You out there listening, I did that just for you. As always, at the end of each week's episode, I would love to hear from you. In the description of each and every episode, you will have the option to send me a one-minute audio message. It could be a hot take. It could be a response to what I said. It could be a question. It's really up to you. Of course, all I ask is that you keep it respectful. And if doing an audio message is really not your thing my dms are always open so you can always send me a hot take or you can send one to my business email which is the afternoon special tv at gmail.com um please don't spam my mailbox i don't like that but if you legitimately have like a podcast response i will happily read it on next week's podcast okay i hope you enjoyed this week's chat and that you'll join me again next week for another pop culture deep dive later days friends hi just checking in and seeing if you might want to step away from the noise of the world for just a moment and connect back to you if so join me on my podcast letting it settle with michael galleon where we'll explore mindfulness self-love and personal growth as i share practical insights and tools to hopefully help inspire you to start to take charge of your mental and emotional well-being 
Search for Letting It Settle with Michael Galleon on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening now. Are you a Marvel fan? Matt, you know I am. Jeff, I was asking the listener. Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought it seemed like a weird question because, you know, we've been doing a Marvel podcast together for nine years now. No, no, I was trying to grab the attention of all the Marvel fans out there for this ad. Oh. I thought it was weird, too. You should definitely warn us. Good note, Ashley. Well, if you like Marvel movies and TV as much as we do, join us for the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. He did it again. 